Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Patented, a podcast by History Hit. All about the history of inventions and the origins of things. I'm Dallas Campbell. Here's a very patented, appropriate April Fool's Day story to get things going. April 1st, 1878, the New York Daily Graphic, which I'm sure you're familiar with, announced that the hero of the age, Thomas Edison, had invented a new machine that could turn dirt from his basement into meat, fruit and even wine. Edison invents a machine that will feed the human race, said the headline. And there was a quotation from the great man himself. In ten years, my machines will be used to provide the tables of the civilised world. Meat will no longer be killed or vegetables grown except by savages. I don't know if Edison spoke quite like that. But believe it or not, people actually fell for this. It was reprinted across America with adulations heaped onto Edison's shoulders until two days later, April the 3rd, presumably, when the Daily Graphic published an article crowing at everyone that they had duped. So why is it we feel the need to create such havoc on April Fool's Day? What is the point of it all? Where did this holiday, I know it's not really a holiday, but where did this day come from in the first place? And what makes April Fool's Day jokes so funny for me? at least. Here to celebrate the best festival of them all, in my opinion, is folklorist Moira Marsh. She is the author of the book, appropriately titled Practically Joking. Enjoy. I was just about to say that Moira Marsh, who's my guest today, is my hero because she did the April Fool's archive website. But you didn't do that at all. I've got it, I got it mixed up. There is a this great website called the April Fool Archive where they've got them all. But that wasn't you, was it, Moira? It was not me. Do you wish it was you? You know, I don't think I've ever seen that website. Really? I mean, it's got everything, like everyone you could possibly imagine. But anyway, just to explain, you're an, you're an expert or a, a student of folklore with a little sideline in hoaxes. How, how would you describe your work and, and your interests? Well, I'm, I'm a folklorist. One of my areas of interest within folklore is humour, particularly ritual humour. And it's in the context of studying ritual humour that I got interested in practical jokes. 
which are a folk, form of folk play. And it, I find it totally fascinating. So I wrote a book about Practical Jokes as eventually. Me too. I've, I find it. Okay, April Fool's Day. I, wh- I, don't, I have no idea where the origin It's my favorite day. And I wish we celebrated it more. Because for me, it's better than Christmas or, or Easter or any other kind of. And it should, when I'm prime minister, I am going to make it a public holiday. And there will be prizes and awards for whoever does the best one. But is there such a thing as an originator or an origin story behind it? Or is it just, did it just amorphously appear in a puff of humor? But it must have started somewhere at some time, but nobody knows when exactly or, or where exactly. But there are no end of theories, stories, kind of metaphor law about when and how it started. Oh, that's quite nice. Metaphor law. Where would you, if you were going to stick a pin in the, in the timeline, where would you go? You have to go back to the Romans, of course, because we always go back to the Romans. Always the Romans. There was an ancient Roman or late empire festival, Hilaria, which was a spring festival for the spring equinox in, in honor of the goddess Cybele, and it involved, you know, dancing and maybe masking. There's no information that it had anything to do with playing jokes on people. There's very little information about it at all, actually, but it's very old, right? And Hilaria, right? And it's spring. And then the, the theories go on from there about that it had to do with the calendar change, the switch from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, which happened beginning in the late 16th century and extended all the way into the 18th because it happened at different times in different places. And the most common theory that you'll hear is that when the calendar was changed, the New Year's Day was moved from the end of March to the beginning of January. But a lot of people either forgot about that and were fooled or refused to do it and were likewise fooled. And so we made fun of those people. It's an ingenious theory I, I, there's no evidence that, and the trouble with it is that we know that there were April Fool's Day jokes in various parts of Europe before the calendar switch. I think we can safely say for this one, the invention of April Fool's Day, it is lost in the midst of time. Indeed, and that's okay. And and part of the, for me as a folklorist, I'm less interested in the origins of a calendar custom like this than in the fact that people are so interested in the origins of calendar customs. It, it's part of the well, part of the celebration of the custom is to speculate about the origin of the custom. We like to kind of find the source of the river. There is something human about that. I mean, here, this podcast series is about finding the source of things, but it's really just a device. I don't really care when things began. I'm interested in the thing itself, and we use the when did it begin as a kind of device to talk about the thing. I suppose. Sorry, listeners, I've just I've just blown it wide open. Okay, I tell you what. Let, let, let me ask you this first. Why April the first? Is, is there any sense in that? Like, why not any other day? Like, where did that come from? That is the hardest part to explain. Because there are ranking traditions that have occur on other dates. Feast of the Holy Innocents is one in, uh, in Latin America, Mexico, which is late December. Well, the reason that it's April 1st is that it is just the week after the spring equinox. It is a spring festival, and that it's matched on the other end of the calendar by Halloween bonfire night. Ah, there you go. That I didn't realize that. That makes total sense. So one, one, one opens the year. Yeah, with kind of fun pranks and so life and death and that. Yeah. And then uh, the other one closes the year with less fun pranks and death and life. Yeah. The thing about April Fool's Day, like you said, it's, a, it's kind of about the rules. And so any silly thing that happens on April Fool's Day, you know it's an April Fool's, so you get away with it. You know, if you, did, if you played a, a practical joke any other time of the year, people might just think 
you're a bit odd. It's the one time that you can you can get away with it. And I kind of wonder, just humour generally or, or practical jokes, like wh- why do we need to express it like that? Like where does that actually come from, that, that need to muck about? Well, it is a form of play. And, and play seems to be essential to human beings. We construct our version of the world and we think it looks this way and, and that way. But we're also aware to some extent that our view of the world is a construction. And so we want to peek behind the construction from time to time, which is a little bit like peeking into chaos. But if you do it with a very careful boundary around it, it's not scary. It's thrilling. I think I psychologically damaged my son once because I did a practical joke on him. He was, he's, a very, he's a stickler for punctuality. And I remember when he was about seven or eight, I moved the clock forward about 20 minutes and got him up for school and told him he was going to be late for school. And he absolutely freaked out and has never quite been the same since. (laughs) It was was pretty funny, though. Because we were like, April Fool! The other thing we used to like do is we'd get all the cereal packets in in the cupboard and take the inside packets of the cereal cupboards and swap them around into different boxes. So when people reach for the cornflakes, they get they get shreddies. Pretty gentle stuff. Yeah, slightly less gentle as if you substitute salt for sugar in the in the sugar bowl. Yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting that idea because these are all these are all jokes that are controlling. You know, it's like I've got one on you. I'm slightly controlling you for fun. Are there sort of different categories? of practical jokes? Is there a kind of a kind of library of categories of joke? I've attempted for years to come up with a, with a typology of jokes. It's not perfect, but I, I could run through them. Mm. So the, the simplest ones are, are what in American they call put-ons, and in, in English they call leg pulls, I think, where you simply tell someone a whopper, and all they have to do is, is believe it. They don't have to act on it. Can I give you an example of one? Please. In the UK, I think it was the early 90s. I may be wrong. We have, as I'm sure you are aware, this is a polo mint. I'm, I'm holding up a polo mint to the camera. You know polo mints. It's a mint with a hole in it. And there was a newspaper article, I can't remember when it was, years ago, that they were, because of EU regulations, this is when Britain was in the EU, and everyone was freaking out, and they couldn't have holes in the polos anymore. So they were going to manufacture them without the holes. And in fact, all forms of tubular food would have to have their holes removed. And as a sort of stepping stone to that point where they would remove the holes, they were going to put the inserts, sell the inserts of the polo hole that you could put in a seven millimeter hole plug that you could plug it in. There's something, it's such a well-designed joke. It's like you can kind of imagine, because it kind of touches slight truths and touches our little... Pull, I guess that thing pulls our legs in, in ways yeah, that we, yeah. we react to. So all, all, we, all we're looking for with that is, a, is some kind of a reaction, and it typically is only last for a few seconds. Right. Then the next step up is what are generally called fool's errands. Fool's errands. Sounds nice. What's a fool's errand? Some, some of the earliest April Fool's Day jokes were known to be fool's errands, where you would send someone, not, to, not only to convince someone of the existence of a thing that doesn't actually exist, but you would send them to fetch it or to, or to go and perform an impossible task. So there's an early one from a 17th century poem where a schoolboy claims his mother sent him to go milk the ducks. That's a good one. So we've got leg pulls. What have we got? We've got fool's errands. Booby traps. Booby traps. Booby traps. Yeah, well, booby? that's simply... So, a fool's errand is, is predicated on convincing someone that there's something extraordinary that they must go and see or do something yeah. about or whatever, right? A booby trap is basically rearranging aspects of the person's environment in such a way that they don't realize anything's being rearranged. So, the example you gave about switching the cereal boxes, 
right, switching the salt for the sugar, they can be meaner as we are quite a bit meaner, <laughs> quite a bit, quite a bit messier too. One of the nice theories that I like about practical jokes comes from a French philosopher, Henri Bergson, who wrote, who writes his his theory about humor. It doesn't apply to all jokes, but it does apply very well to practical jokes, which is that we laugh at human beings the more that they act like machines. He uses the mechanical encrusted on the on the living. So when we act like machines instead of like sentient responding, you know, creatures, we are, we're laughable. Movie traps work because we know how people are going to respond in those. Everyone is going to respond the same way. If the phone rings, you're going to pick it up, right? And then so you smear something sticky on the receiver. And, 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 you know. <laughs> the old shoe polish around the eyepiece of the uh, telescope. Yes, yes, that, that kind of thing. And those work because, you, and they work on anybody because, you know, people react in very, those are predictable scripts that we run through every day without thinking about them. And the joke just disrupts that. That set of assumptions, right? I like your taxonomy. I think your taxonomy is very is is helpful. There, there seem to be lots of things, lots of examples that f- fit within every category. The, the, the last one that I have is the what I call stunts, which are very public. So mo- a lot of the jokes we've talking talking about up to now are involve one or two people only at a time, right? Stunts are intended to fool large numbers of people all at once. And university students are famous for those. I'll tell you that my favorite one of those is not an April Fool's joke, but it is another ritual prank because it it happens on another calendar occasion, or in this case, a rite of passage, i.e. graduation. When students graduate in in New Zealand universities, when I was there decades ago, there was a a week-long festival to celebrate graduation. We called it Capping Week. And so in New Zealand, at least, for quite a lengthy period of time, one of the traditional activities was to play these large-scale jokes on the public. And they were called capping stunts. What kind of stunts? Like, what would be a good example of a capping stunt? Well, for instance, my favorite is a a story that begins, there was a group of workmen in the street near the campus digging up the road, blocking traffic. Students go along to these workmen and they say, look, there's going to be a group of police come along in a little while and try to get you guys to move along. But don't pay any attention to them because they're not really police. They're just students and they're doing it as a capping stunt. So the guy goes, right, okay, thanks for the warning. You know, we'll be, we'll take care of this. And then the same students, they go to the police. And they say, there's a group of workmen in such and such a street digging up the road and blocking traffic. And we really think you ought to do something about it because they're not really workmen, they're just students. <laughs> and so, and the story is ends there, typically. You're left to imagine well, these that's two. Well, you can imagine the chaos. Imagine the chaos. Muses. Sing to me a history of Olympus and the deathless gods who govern earth, sea, and sky. That is Zeus's command. It's the Ancients from History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and every month on the podcast, we're taking a deep dive into the Olympian gods. None of them are as simple or as single faceted as we've kind of reduced them to in our heads when we think about the gods of the pantheon who do one thing each. With world-leading experts, we'll be telling the dramatic story of who they are. Aphrodite was the goddess of love and sex and passion, and specifically she was considered often to be love itself. Their myths and their meanings. 
Hephaestus was already there and that he split Zeus's head with an axe in order to liberate Athena from Zeus's head. And how they've influenced the course of history. Imagine ourselves back in the footsteps of people who are trying to explain and understand a world around them. A world which is not fair or just. That gets us into absolute key facet of how to understand the ancient Greek gods, which is that they are not good people. Join us as we explore some of the most fascinating deities history has ever known. Listen and follow on the ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Trouble is with the internet now, like pre-internet, I, I kind of think that practical jokes had much more value because... You could keep them a little bit private, so not everyone's going to myth-bust them straight away. But also with the fact that technology lets you pretty much do anything now. Maybe the creativity's gone from practical joking. Oh, I don't think so. No? <laughs> That's as creative as they've ever been. But what has happened with April Fool's Day in particular, since the advent of the mass media, and this actually goes back to the advent of television, is that the media, you guys have gotten into the act on April Fool's Day. Which gets me, let's talk about the classic. For me, well, for everybody in the UK of a certain age, I suppose, because perhaps younger people don't know what I'm talking about, but the Swiss spaghetti harvest of 1950-something, was it the 50s? Yeah, 57, I think. 56, 57, yes. And and Richard Dimbleby, for those of you who don't know, there was a Richard Dimbleby old black and white news presenter from back in the day, father of David Dimbleby, I'm guessing, must have been, reported on the spaghetti harvest in Switzerland where they would pick the spaghetti from the trees. And of course, the 1950s, I think people in the UK post-war didn't really have spaghetti other than what came in tins. And so everyone was like, oh, wow, spaghetti grows on trees. But it sort of lived on beyond its legend. It was so, I don't know how effective a practical joke it was at the time, but it's the one that 
we always cite as a, the, the greatest April Fool gag. Yeah, it, it was a great one. I mean, because because it was so elaborate. I mean, you could watch the the peasants actually harvesting the spaghetti from the trees and, and laying it in the sun to dry, yeah. and then feasting afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Did that? It's funny. Did people actually believe it? It's sort of. Do you yes. think people believe it, or is it just sort of passed into legend? The actual event. The beauty of um, having a mass audience for any kind of stuff like that is that just by the law of statistics, you're going to get some people who will believe it. Uh, and so some people called out the BBC and wanted to know where uh, they could get their own spaghetti tree. And they were told, well, take a sprig of spaghetti and stick it in a can of tomato sauce and hope for the best. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> let's go through it. Let's go. F- let's, I'm just, I've got a little list of famous Practical. I mean, do you have a particular favourite? I mean, we've mentioned the spaghetti tree, which is obviously the, the classic. There was the island of Sans Sarif. Sans Sarif, yeah, from The Guardian, 1977. That went on for pages. It was an entire special section. What was it? Explain to me what, what, it, what it was. It was intended to be a sort of a special travel section about this fabulous island that you, might, that you could actually go and visit. It was an archipelago in the Indian Ocean, right? And the two islands of the archipelago were shaped sort of like a semicolon. And it was called Saint Serif, S-E-R-I-F-F-E. And then all the names, they went through the entire history of the country, its government, its geography, its folk customs. It had a capital city called Bodoni. The two main islands were called Uppercase and Lowercase. And the, the president for life was named General Maria Jesu Pica. And then there were descriptions of the, the folk customs. I'll, I'll read you a quote. It said that the tourists fortunate enough to be permitted to visit the Flong settlements of Saint Serif during the summer solstice will be rewarded by the colorful spectacle of the galley sect Mm-hmm. stamping and shrieking in unison to the dance of the pied slugs. And all of those terms are from typesetters lingo, typesetters jargon. That's, so it was obviously somebody who worked in typesetting. It was, it, it was the Guardian newspaper. But then they had, you know, there were advertisements on the theme of Saint Serif. There were job, <laughs> job ads um, for Saint Serif. It was hugely successful. They had lots and lots of people writing in who wanted to find out how they could go. Or how they could get a job there. <laughs> there was a famous map. There was a map of Britain, and I can't remember where it was from, where there was a secret, like, fake island off the coast of Wales that, that doesn't exist. Anyway, but things like fake countries, fake islands, fake animals as well, cryptozoology, things like mermaids and, and strange animals made up of different bits of animal always seem to make appearances around about April Fool's Day. Mythical animals are, cryptozoology is one thing, and then we have what I call ironic cryptozoology, which are mythical animals that are invented purely as jokes. You know, people do believe in the Loch Ness Monster, they do believe in Bigfoot, and they used to believe in mermaids, some of them, but there are always some who who knew better, who would exploit that belief of the first group to, you know, extract money or do whatever. And so my favorite example, again, and this is found in the U.S. I don't know if there's anything, well, there is something like it in Britain, but you can guess, I think, and that is the jackalope. The jackalope, yes. It's like, what is it, half pheasant, half rabbit? Well, um, a regular jackalope, it comes in different morphs, right? (laughs) The regular morph is cross between a jackrabbit and an antelope. So it has the body of a rabbit or a hare, and it has it has deer antlers or pronghorn antlers, and you can see them all over the west of the U.S. and mounted on the on in on the walls in bars and restaurants and tourist shops and that. 
Now, I have in my possession the, the world's only flying jackalope because, <laughs> because he, he does have wings. He has wings and a tail, you know, pheasant wings and pheasant tail. Can we see your, can we see your jackalope? He's not in this office, unfortunately. And he's, he's very particular about where he lives. So. <laughs> I wonder, again, it's like, why is that thing, that, that idea of somehow, even though it's a practical joke, there is more to life than meets the eye. There is more to the, that sort of regular order of the universe. We love the, the sort of idea of capricious hands at work, whether they be the hands of the creator or whatever. And the, and the, and the idea of cryptozoology is really interesting. Yeah. Just talk about technology. I, I asked whether or not technology is kind of ruining the practical joke because the technology makes creating things so much easier. I remember Google had one when you were on the Google homepage and they had a mind control thing where you just had to stare into a circle, think what you were searching for, and it would work. Yeah, that was a Google, Google Mentalplex. Google Mentalplex. Mentalplex. And you had to stare at the screen. Very, you had to do it just right. And if, you couldn't be wearing glasses or if you would take your glasses or take your hat off or, or, or it wouldn't work. But you had to think think very closely and you know, concentrate and, and, then, and then presumably it would work. And if, and if all that failed, you could click on the Mentalplex and then that would take you to a page about April Fool's Day. Do you think, I, I don't know, times change, we, human, we become more sensitive about ideas and things. Do you think the, the, the April Fool's gag is part of a bygone era, a sort of more innocent time? Or do you think they're going to keep going and, and they're as good, if not going to get better? What I don't do see think? any signs of them show it slowing down. On that bombshell, may your, all your jokes be relatively painless, but very amusing. And the same to you. There we go. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the show generally, then uh, please tell your friends and your friends' family and their pets and tennis partners all about it. Subscribe and uh, whatever you have to do to keep the algorithms happy. And don't forget, get in touch. If you've got an idea for a suggestion you'd like us to cover or an idea you'd like us to investigate, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at patented at historyhit.com. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Folk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code 
patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.